25 minutes in front of the hour, heading into the final half hour of our program. Yael Asowski from the Consumer Choice Center joins us at this time each Friday. He is host of the Consumer Choice Radio Show, which airs at 10 o'clock Saturday mornings right here on the Big Talker FM. Yael, my friend, it is a pleasure to catch up with you once again. I hope you're doing well. Oh, things are great out here, Joe. I'm uh, finally uh, tuned in to the nice summer. Bought myself a car so I can get back out on the road, and I'm trying to enjoy all that freedom that we have here now that we're out of quarantine. Uh, Can't say the same for our friends in North Carolina, though. No, and, uh, well, it's uh, based on the science and data, based on the best evidence, uh, but just uh, finding out uh, where your family lives, or at least in their neck of the woods out in Mecklenburg County, finding out that, well, the county doesn't necessarily count to all of the negative tests that are administered uh, by some outside uh, pharmacies and other healthcare partners. Uh, that not included in the data based on what uh, one of the counties with the biggest spikes in the country, you know, when it talks uh, about uh, you know, the best evidence that we have. Well, when you're omitting data, uh, how can you come up with uh, good decisions for our people? Yeah, you can't. exactly. And I think having science as one of the most important kind of virtues in our society, we should be pushing good science to the fore. And we haven't really had that throughout this pandemic, especially when we go back to the very beginning, Joe. I mean, it feels like forever now, but we all remember where this came from, from the CCP, from uh, Chinese communism. And essentially now we're still reaming with uh, the impact of not having good data, not having the good test, not knowing what the tests are going to be, if everyone's going to be tested in this area or that. Um, if you thought that your public officials were all in on science and they were the scientific uh, sort of public officials of the day, they were definitely wrong. So definitely a lot of changes. Uh, we hope it's for the better, though. We hope uh, these things can kind of get cleaned up and everybody can get back to work, get back to having a life. All right. Well, with that, you know, we live in this live free or die society in America where we don't like being told what to do or how authority is going to guide us uh, one way or the other. The governor, again, trying to make decisions, quote, based on best evidence, and we can't, quote, snap your fingers to make change related to questions that he faced yesterday regarding face masks and making that mandatory here in the state of North Carolina. Uh, I know either way where you stand on the mandatory use of face masks, it's just amazing how, well, we can flip the switch and snap our fingers to shut down the economy of our state for the better part of two and a half months, three months now for some businesses, but we can't snap our fingers and flip the switch when it comes to something like face masks. A little consistency might go a long way in establishing some credibility with your constituency. Yeah, and it's very hard for the state to come up with the right answer because we haven't even gotten the right answer uh, from our own National Institutes of Health. Uh, even if you looked at Dr. Fauci uh, in an interview recently, they asked him, you know, why didn't the government mandate the wearing of face masks early on? And he said, well, the reason we did not say everyone should go out and get a mask is because we wanted to reserve them for the medical professionals. But all along, we should have done that and said that people needed to get masks. So in a way, we were being misled in the very beginning because they kept telling us, no, no one needs to wear the mask unless you're sick. It's fine. Healthy people don't need to have it. But the only reason they said that was because they were trying to save it. And I think this is where it's kind of a problem. Look, you're public officials. Uh, some of you are elected. Many of you are appointed by politicians. You need to tell us the truth. I, I think this is something that 
uh, you go on on your show a lot uh, about Joe is that we can be trusted as the American people if there is a scientific proof that wearing masks will help uh, kill the virus or at least stop the transmission. Uh, we can go all in on that. But now that they've kind of waited too late, it's been a bit crazy. And uh, I know I've had a lot of friends send me some of the videos of the reopened North Carolina folks who, you know, were burning the masks and things. The problem that you don't want is you don't want masks to become a partisan issue. But unfortunately, because of the way that the governor has been uh, being very strange on this and also in California where they just now have mandated it, you know, they're really muddling the conversation. They're the ones muddling science. And that's really unfortunate because we could have actually put put this down very, very early. But instead, we're, we're still having this debate all these months later. I mean, Joe, I came on this program uh, back in March and we talked about how they were instituting these masks, uh, you know, that everyone needed to wear them in public facilities and things like back in March in different parts of Europe. And we're in June, and this is like kind of happening in North Carolina. It's kind of crazy to think about that. It seems uh, like uh, election year politics at its best, uh, in, in meaning, well, we don't necessarily ha- have been able to gauge the public's uh, you know, response or whether or not they would agree or, or disapprove of my decision. So I'm just going to try and wade water as long as I can until I have to make a decision. Now, once we get maybe some polling data uh, into our office to d- determine you know, what the public perception is on this. And that's why you know a lot of people are very cynical about the political process, politicians voting. If every single decision is just based on X or Y poll that's coming out, essentially we're just ruled by the mob, um, both uh, literally and figuratively. But you know this is not how our societies should be run. You know we elect people to take a turn. We allow you now to take the turn as governor or as a state legislator. Go up there, do some good, come back home, tell us what's happening. Instead, everybody is so hell bent on keeping their jobs, that everything becomes a political decision. And that's very bad. And I hope really the the voters of North Carolina keep that in mind next time they go to the ballot box. Yael Lasowski from the Consumer Choice Center is uh, with us uh, this morning. Uh, From a fiscal standpoint, uh, Yael, many states battling and having to deal with, uh, you know, massive shortfalls as it relates to budget uh, revenues because of the shutdown of everyone's economy. So how, in fact, uh, do we go about... uh, or what should we be on the lookout for when it comes to maybe not our state because we're uniquely positioned. We've got money in the savings account. Of course, we've got billions from the federal government through the CARES Act that we'll be able to spend. Uh, but in other states, particularly states that uh, are not fiscally as strong as we are, you know, what should uh, citizens be looking at as far as how government is going to pay for the damages of uh, the virus? And the, the state of North Carolina is doing okay, Joe, but there's still a lot of municipalities and counties that, you know, have had a lot of problems with schools. And I know there, there's a, a big push around the country to try to talk about charter schools and their advantage. Um, and really, you're having a lot of shortfalls when it comes to education funding. And most of that money comes from property taxes, as we know. So that's something that might be very, very soon, you might get that in the mail, some kind of uh, notice about property tax going up. We've seen in other states, uh, particularly California now, that they're talking about raising taxes on things like alcohol, vaping products, tobacco products. So basically, the sin tax. So once you've gotten your pub and your your neighborhood bar opened up, 
finally you're able to go and enjoy it with family and friends, you'll show up there and your drink is going to end up being 20, 25, 50 cents more. That's what a lot of states are going to have to do to try to pick up some of this revenue. So there's, there's, we got to be on the lookout for that. I think, um, you know, in North Carolina at the state level, they have been more responsible fiscally and that's something to celebrate. So they're going to be in a bit better of a situation, but there's still going to be a lot of states and maybe some municipalities that are not doing too well. And uh, hopefully there's no raising of the income tax or anything like that. That's uh, next level. I think people should be incredibly upset if that is to happen or to pass. But definitely they're going to put up taxes on, you know, the things that are very popular, apparently, um, amongst political folks. And these are the taxes that actually end up hitting uh, the poorest of the poor, you know, the people who actually spend uh, indiscriminately more on these products. They're the ones that are going to be paying more. More of their income is going to be going to the state now. Um, that's very problematic. I think all consumers out there should be very wary. Make sure you kind of know what is being debated about. Listen to programs like Mornings with Joe Catanacci. Read the paper as often as you can. Uh, figure out what's happening. And again, as pretty much the last couple of weeks have shown us if people rise up, if people are attuned to what's happening politically, we can make a change. And when it comes to making sure that people keep more of their money in their own pocket, I think that's something we can all get behind. In talking about uh, some of the protests and demonstrations uh, outside of the rioting, the looting and the anarchy that we saw play out, uh, but as far as the demonstrators go and the protesters go, how important is it for those folks uh, to keep in mind uh, that in order to change the system and to garner support, maybe even from people who disagree with uh, you know, your policy stance, that in order to change the system, you need to work within the system and that flipping the whole thing upside down is not going to really you know, weigh uh, or at least uh, you know, appeal to a vast majority of the population here in America. A total uprising and overthrow, uh, overthrowing of uh, the system the way it is, the, the processes. I bring you an example here in the city of Wilmington just last week. Uh, we had protesters and demonstrators outside of our city council meeting. Council kind of amended the rules to allow someone from this group to speak, although she was not signed up uh, through the public comment uh, portion of the, the meeting, allowed her to speak. She became unruly and they had to escort her out. And, uh, you know, how important is it for those folks, as passionate and as emotional they are, to remember that in order to change the system, you need to work within the system to make that happen? I think it's an important point, Joe, and, and we have to remember that our system that we have is actually one of the best for this in the world. Um, you know, there aren't many places in the world where you can actively um, meet in city halls, town halls. You can actually question and uh, really grill your elected representatives and let them know what they're what you're thinking. You know, you can't really do that in many other countries. Amongst liberal democracies, the United States is special as well because we have things like ballot initiatives. We have these open city council meetings. I mean, that's something very good, and I think it's something that. All protesters and activists of all stripes have been using for many years, and they have been very successful at doing that. It's an important tool, and it should be at the fore of pretty much anyone who wants to change what they see today. Uh, but, you know, that's you don't always have to go out in the street to make a difference. I think in some circumstances it does work. In certain circumstances where you have a set goal and you know exactly what you're going for and it's not some kind of Maoist revolution, as we see in some parts of the country. But if you have a very uh, subscription, a, a good goal that people can look at and say, we want to end qualified immunity, end police brutality, these are things that can be fixed. 
And these are things that I think public officials are very attuned to, and they definitely want to change. Um, so we have to keep that in mind as well, is whenever we protest, whenever we try to make our voice heard, we can use all kinds of media. We can use newspapers, letters to the editor. We can call into radio programs. We can send emails to our elected representatives. Uh, we can host small sit-ins and try to go meet your local representative. Uh, don't think they're above you. They're there to represent you. And therefore, if you have a grievance, you have the right uh, to go and meet with them and have it changed. So definitely, it's important to keep those avenues open. We still live in a constitutional democracy. I think it's very important to hold that together. This is a republic. And uh, the more that we can use the instruments that our system provides, I think that's better for everyone, and specifically everyone's freedom, too. Yael Lasowski from the Consumer Choice Center. He's the host of the Consumer Choice Radio Show, 10 o'clock Saturday mornings as part of our block of local programs here on the Big Talker FM, Saturday at 10 a.m., also at ConsumerChoiceCenter.org, his website as well, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice. All right, Yael, I know, obviously, given the tensions in our country right now and uh, a lot of the unrest that we're seeing uh, today, a day of significance, a day that uh, many kids that grew up with a public school education don't necessarily, uh, well, have never maybe even heard of it growing up. Uh, but uh, today is recognized as Juneteenth, 155 years ago today, the last slaves were freed following the end of the Civil War uh, down in Texas. And, uh, you know, as good, bad, ugly, indifferent our history has been, when we look at some of the generational change we're yearning for, uh, we're really vague on the specifics on how we get to these positions or what we're even looking to do. How can we get some clarity there? As you kind of mentioned, you know, a lot of the protesters out there, they're lacking specifics. You know, they talk about social justice or community-led intervention, but then they don't go much further beneath the surface to explain themselves as to how or what monies they would like reallocated, how it would go there, what accountability would be uh, you know, used to make sure the money's being best spent. It just seems like everything gets lost in the hype and uh, you know, the unrest that we're seeing. And, I, I, you know, the United States had slavery, but it also ended slavery. And it was a very bloody affair, and uh, a lot of people lost their lives. It was one of the largest wars that history had ever seen up until that point. But what is important is to celebrate on Juneteenth, on June 19th, the idea that then we actually understood what the Constitution stood for. We understood what the Bill of Rights was. And, you know, people would like to shoot down the Constitution or start all over. You know, all we're doing throughout history is we're better interpreting and we're better understanding and better applying the rules that have been set out for the last 300 years. I think that's something to celebrate. And, you know, people who do have these grievances, um, you know, things were very bad, but they're getting better. Every single measure that we see, people are living longer, people are richer than they ever have been in the history of the world. If you are a United States citizen, if you live in this country, you are one of the richest people on the planet. You are in the global 1%. I think a lot of people forget that. A lot of people kind of look towards the past, uh, look towards a, a lot of oppression that might have happened. And grant you, a lot of this oppression was at the hands of governmental institutions. These were enshrined in law. And if our, there are those laws, we should repeal those laws and get rid of them. And I think our system has done a great job of of getting better at doing that. Um, you know, it's not perfect. It's a, it's a more perfect union, not a perfect union. But I think there are many things that we can be proud of. And there 
there's so many great entrepreneurs and, and great citizens that have come out of our societies that we don't necessarily celebrate as we should. There are great people who've come up with amazing ideas that have made our lives better, richer. They've made us a lot freer. I think if we concentrate more on these people, on just the general American story, that's something that everyone can get behind. I've talked about this on, on your program before, Joe, but you know, being an immigrant to the United States, is, it's one of the only countries in the world where you can assimilate and become an American relatively easily. Just believe in these ideas. Just believe in these freedoms, and you can become one of us. That is incredibly powerful. I think we have to continue coming back to that, remembering that. This is a very unique society we live in. It's the freest country, richest country. Let's just continue to hold those principles up. You know, you make uh, well many valid points uh, as to what you know you could see as far as how we should uh, you know, approach the future. And uh, one thing, in a conversation I had last week on the, on this show with uh, my friend Joel Johnson, he's uh, you know, a guy that uh, grew up in poverty in a single wide trailer in Brunswick County, and uh, is now an engineer with uh, multiple degrees from NC State, uh, you know, a faith based leader, a, a youth basketball coach, and. Uh, he mentioned that he said, you know, we are never in talking about hope or, you know, looking at the past and, uh, you know, has as ugly or bad as it was, you know, 200 years ago, 150 years ago, or some of the things that are still, you know, uneasy in people's stomachs that we rarely point out the positives and uh, the role models or, you know, people that we can uh, aspire to be those who have walked uh, the shoes before us and have uh, turned something out of nothing. We rarely tell those stories. You know, why is it that we prevent, uh, you know, many of our younger generations from understanding and getting, uh, you know, a comprehension of uh, all of the success stories of the millions and millions of success stories uh, that we have seen in our country over the years, no matter what you look like or where you come from? Well, much like the winners write history, the politicians also write history. And, you know, one specific individual that I came to, to learn about just driving in my hometown of Concord outside of Charlotte, and I saw Warren C. Coleman Boulevard. Turns out that Warren C. Coleman was at the time the richest African-American in the country in the year 1900. He built the first black-owned and operated textile mill, and it rivaled so many other textile mills in the area. And he actually was one of the most prominent African-Americans in the entire country. And he was from right there in Concord, exactly where I grew up. He's got a street named after him. He's got maybe a small plaque. There aren't any huge statues to him. We don't hear his story. I never learned about this in school. I had to learn about it because of my own curiosity. And I think that's something that we, we can kind of find. All of these stories, success stories, they exist. They're there. We just haven't been telling them. So we need to kind of look backwards, look inward. We can find these stories. We can actually find a lot of inspiration from people who came from nothing and created empires. There's a lot of that in history, Joe. If we tell these stories a little bit better and maybe not put so much faith in politicians and actually individuals, private individuals who are entrepreneurs, who are thinkers, activists, these are the people that have actually made our country incredibly great. In fact, uh, our city here in Wilmington recently renamed or at least uh, commemorated uh, a well-known figure in the black community. His name, Joseph McNeil and uh, Third Street, which runs right through the heart of our downtown area, has been named uh, uh, retired uh, General Major General Joseph McNeil Way. <laughs> and uh, I guarantee that if you were to ask a person on the street or many of those people on the steps of City Hall, 
who retired Major General Joseph McNeil was. Uh, they'd look at you with a blank stare. Uh, he was uh, one of the members of the Greensboro Four, uh, the group of African-American college students who, who sat down at the segregated uh, Woolworths lunch counter and made more change in the city of Greensboro and the state of North Carolina uh, than many people uh, in, in before him and then after him. And we have a street named after him right there uh, on 3rd Street, yet uh, I guarantee 90% of the people you talk to here in Wilmington on the steps of that city hall could not tell you uh, Joseph McNeil from anyone else. Yeah, and, and that's a huge problem. And, and I think you know anyone could tell you about Jesse Helms, um, you know, Senator North Carolina for many years, but you don't know these stories of activists who are very courageous in their time, uh, who really stuck their neck out and made a difference. I think if we celebrate these people a lot more, um, then this is all the beauty that is the United States. And I think all of us could kind of uh, benefit from that a little bit, Joe. Tomorrow morning, uh, you'll be back on the air with your colleague Dave Clement. Uh, give us a little update and preview of what we can expect on Consumer Choice Radio Saturday at 10 o'clock. We're interviewing Fleming Rose. He was the Danish journalist and editor who commissioned the Mohammed cartoons that started a worldwide uproar. Um, David and I have both known him for a few years, and he gives us great lessons on tolerance and free speech. And he tell us a, uh, tells us a little bit about his take on everything that's happening with chilling free speech, with shutting down contrary opinion. And he really makes a great argument for free expression. So that's tomorrow. Uh, the Rebel Rousers will be back at it tomorrow at 10 o'clock as part of their Consumer Choice radio show, latest edition, 10 a.m., right here on the Big Talker FM. Yael, great conversation this morning, as always. So we'll catch up next week. All right. Thank you, Joe. This is Yael Lasowski here from the Consumer Choice Center, consumerchoicecenter.org, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice. We'll have just a minute or two to go when we get back from our final time out of the broadcast week, rolling into a Father's Day weekend here on the Big Talker FM.